welcome to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel. Today's episode, Curious About Clearing or Get Clear on Clearing with special guest, Dr. Catherine Armstrong. Hello, my name's Alex Patel from Weird Learning and I'm here with my colleague, Tracy Dix. Hello, everyone. We're very excited today because we have a special guest, Dr. Catherine Armstrong from Loughborough University. Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Alex. Hello, Tracy. Really nice to meet you both and talk with your guests today. Um, my name's Catherine and I'm a historian. I'm based at Loughborough University, as you said, and my specialist area of research is slavery in the United States. But as well as my research, I also teach undergraduates and postgraduates. And I've also held positions at the university that mean I've had lots of experience of clearing. And so one of those roles has been admissions tutor. And as admissions tutor, I've been part of the team that answers the phones on clearing day and speaks to people who are hoping to come to Loughborough as students. And so, over the years, I've gained lots and lots of experience of the sorts of questions and concerns that potential students have on what can be a really exciting day, but can also be a really stressful day too. Brilliant, because yes, we're aware that a lot of students now are very concerned about what will happen on clearing day, because obviously few people have gone through this before. Yeah, so hopefully uh, many of you who are listening will find this episode particularly helpful today. So shall we start? Yes. So having worked at a number of universities now, Catherine, could you give our listeners a summary of what clearing is like as a process at the departments you have worked at and are based in now? From the university's point of view, what do they hope to get out of the process? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. And I think it should be really useful to your listeners to understand what drives universities on clearing day because then they can get the best out of the process too. So for me, the departments that I've been based in have got one main concern on clearing day, which is to get as many high quality students as possible. Mm -hmm. And universities often define high quality students based on A-level grades. And I'm not very happy about that because I think we all know that your A-level results don't really reflect how you are as a scholar, how you are as a student. They are just one among many metrics that will measure your academic achievement. But nevertheless, for universities at Clearing, that is something that's really important. Okay, can I just ask, so how much control do individual admissions tutors actually have if they speak to a candidate who sounds absolutely brilliant on the phone and they've got all these wonderful extracurricular activities to their name, but their grades for some reason are quite low, they've perhaps not performed very well? Unfortunately, very little. Oh, no. I think there's a bit of a misconception that you can ring up and try and sell yourself, as it were, on clearing day and perhaps get into an institution that wasn't previously looking for someone with your grades. And unfortunately, that's not really been my experience. What tends to happen is that universities actually get to see your A-level grades before you do. 
And so a few days in advance of our results day, universities find out what your results have been and then can start making the decisions and processing the results in advance of you knowing them. And so by the time we get to results day, decisions have already been made about how many extra spaces a particular mm. course might have. So consequently, this means that decisions will also have been made about the A-level grades that will be accepted through clearing. And so, for example, if a university is nearly full and has only a handful of spaces left, it might still go into clearing, but ask for three A's or even higher. So they might increase. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's been my experience at Loughborough over the last few years, actually. And other universities might find, for whatever reason, particular degree programmes are looking a little bit quiet. There are still quite a lot of spaces, in which case they might be willing to accept students on lower grades than those that they were originally mm. advertising for. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm going to bring up a bit of my past, as I like to do in these discussions. Okay. I think I might as well, and then we can see where it goes. <laughs> Why not? Um, so I applied to do psychology, and as a backup, psychology and neuroscience at the University of Manchester. Psychology on its own required, I think, an A and two Bs or something like that. But the joint honours required, I think, two Bs and a C, which was very strange because a lot of people then told me that the joint honours is more work. <laughs> so yeah, just an interesting situation to be in. Yeah, that is really interesting and actually quite common in the universities that I've worked in too, that <laughs> joint honours, although, you know, you have to try and get to grips with a number of different methodologies sometimes, different theoretical frameworks, do sometimes require lower grades. And what we've found as well is that employers actually respect joint honours degrees there's no sense that oh single honours is a kind of gold standard degree if you're interested in studying a combination of, of several different subjects it is worth looking at the joint mm. honours offerings well I would recommend it initially I wanted to go into psychology then realised I didn't like psychology so it gave me an avenue to go into neuroscience and then biological sciences mm. So sometimes you can get quite creative about the pathways that you choose at university once you're there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think that's something to tell your listeners as well, that if they accept a place through clearing or indeed through the standard UCAS route, they arrive at university and the first few weeks they think, oh, perhaps I've made a bit of a mm. mistake here. Maybe mm. I should think about changing to a different discipline, a different subject area. That is possible. Mm. Don't don't think that once you've accepted that place in clearing or through UCAS, that that's it. You're stuck with it for three years and you can't change. Mm. It's always worth talking to the admissions tutor or the programme leader in your degree subject area just to see what might be possible. Yeah. Is there a deadline for when somebody has to decide to change course? At my own university at Loughborough, it's within the first four weeks, mm -hmm. I believe. Okay. So you do have a little bit of time to go to a lecture, go to a seminar, see what the discipline is about. But if you know pretty quickly you might have made a, a mistake, it's possible to change. Mm. That's really comforting and useful mm -hmm. to know.
So here's when I'm going to bring in something from my past that goes against what Catherine has said. Ooh, we like controversy. So <laughs> I know we like controversy and we keep, let's see how it goes. Back in 1998, as an international student, I performed abysmally for my A-levels. I got two C's and a D, and the D was for English literature, which was the course that I was looking to do at university. And, you know, like many other students, I went around all these universities exhibitions and the ones for Australia were kind of welcoming me with open arms and saying, yes, that's a great grade. You know, you've done so well. Come to us, apply. And then, you know, I went to the one for the UK and it was quite a mixed bag. And at most of the stands, the kind of admissions tutors tended to be for subjects like law and engineering, which I guess, you know, are the ones that are most popular with international students. And they tended to be really surprised when I approached and I was like, I want to study English literature, please. <laughs> what are my chances? So many of them were not in the, the position to make any decisions on admissions because it wasn't their school or department. And as it happens, I approached the stand for Loughborough University and the admissions tutor for English happened to be there. You know, he was very active in recruiting overseas. So we had a chat and he kind of led me away to an interview space and we had a chat about Hamlet. And I think he decided on there and then that I knew what I was talking about and offered to me a place, which was great. And so I scored two C's and a D at A-levels. And at the time, I believe Loughborough's entry requirements were something like two A's and a B or two B's and an A. Either way, it was still several grades above what I had. And in fact, I had a classmate from school at the time who was also kind of doing the rounds, checking out universities, and she'd had a C, a D, and an E, I think, uh, lower grades than I had. And she was offered a place as well based on interview. So, I mean, I don't know if this means that procedures have changed or perhaps, you know, said admissions tutor might have bent the rules a little bit more <laughs> than he should have done. But I mean, also, I was quite shell-shocked because I don't feel like I, I was ready to sell myself. I was just there to explore. So it was an interesting experience. And I guess, what would I say about it? Miracles? <laughs> Exceptions can happen. <laughs> but of course, you know, we wouldn't take them as a guarantee. Mm, okay, yeah. so what we can say is that sometimes it's worth trying. But don't get disheartened if, you know, somebody looks at your grades, um, despite you saying, oh, well, I've done this and this and this. And they say, oh, actually, no. Yeah. It might just be that they're very strict at that particular institution. So don't get disheartened. If it's... I could just come in there, I think that's one <laughs> fantastic story, Tracy. And, and I, uh, <laughs> I think that in some ways your experience I don't think would happen now, just yeah. simply because there would be too much of a gap between your A-level grades mm -hmm. and the required grades for the course. Having said that, though, regularly at Loughborough, what happens is, say, for example, we're advertising a course at an A and two Bs. We will take an applicant who has three Bs, mm -hmm. maybe even BBC on some occasions, if they have special circumstances that we're willing to consider and the reason why universities do this is because they're essentially taking a gamble saying that a student that has applied to Loughborough and really wants to go to Loughborough mm. even though they haven't quite achieved academically what we'd like to see on paper will still be a more engaged and dedicated 
student who will perform really well and we'll be able to help them to achieve to perform really well than somebody who perhaps has got three A's but never even thought of Loughborough before mm. results day mm. and so for those applicants who put Loughborough down as their first or even second choice but just miss their grades don't immediately assume it's going to be a no yeah. have a look on UCAS track you might be pleasantly surprised and find actually we've offered you a place even though you didn't make the grades mm. The only other thing I wanted to pick up there, Tracy, is that international students mm -hmm. are a whole different world yeah. uh, <laughs> in terms of admissions. And I won't go into a lot of complicated detail about the reasons why it here, but just so that your listeners understand, at Loughborough, every degree course has a quota of students that we call home students from, from the UK, mm -hmm. but then another quota of students that are international from now, from the EU and from the, the wider world. And so sometimes if we've had a special difficulty filling our international quota, we actually make different types of offers for international students. And so, it may be the case that if you're coming to a UK institution from outside of the UK, that you find that your application is treated slightly differently to mm -hmm. the way that your home student friends are treated. And that's simply because for admissions purposes, we have different numbers that we're trying to work to on results day because our goal as universities and admissions tutors is to get to as near to full as possible without tipping over to be too full because that looks really bad mm -hmm. when for example mm -hmm. you've probably seen it in the press when universities say we haven't got enough accommodation we haven't got big enough classrooms yeah, to teach exactly. all our students. I have heard of that happening at places yeah, students, students getting stuck without being, accommodation sometimes yeah. well all yeah. being expected to sit on the stairs of a lecture theatre um, the rationale is that well you know after a while not everyone will come there'll be spaces then <laughs> okay, so since we've covered the sort of university perspective of what their goals are um, during clearing, shall we go to Alex's question, which was about what would the clearing process look like from a mm. student's perspective? Yeah, so the way I understand things is through kind of imagining what it would be like, almost like a timeline. What would a student expect it to look like when they, you know, pick up the phone, or rather, what would it sound like? I guess is more appropriate. Sure. Yeah. So what you would have when you ring the clearing hotline at, at Loughborough or similar universities is you initially get put through to what is in effect a call centre, which is staffed by often administrators and sometimes students and former students of Loughborough. So people that know the institution pretty well, but they don't necessarily know the degree programme that you'll be ringing up and talking about. And so initially they'll investigate your query and so if you're ringing for example to ask oh you know I have three A's I'm interested in coming to Loughborough to study single honours history can I do so will you give me a place then the initial person that answers your call will check whether we have places left to see whether that particular program is still in clearing 
If it is not, they may give you the option of alternative programmes, like the joint honours ones we were discussing a moment ago that you might be interested in. If there are places, then they will go through the process of asking you whether you'd like to have a formal offer of a clearing place. Don't worry about that. At that point, you're not committed to anything. If you say, yes, please, please do take my details, have your UCAS number handy, that's a really good tip. And we'll be able to call up your applications on UCAS and we'll be able to make you a clearing offer. As I say, not committing you to anything. You've got time to reflect, to speak to your parents, your family, to speak to your school, if any of those things are appropriate for you and actually make a decision that's right for you. And indeed, although of course we hope that every student would want to come to Loughborough, nothing is stopping you applying or phoning a number of institutions on clearing day. Please don't feel that you've just got to pick one and speak to one. What will then happen is that if you have more questions perhaps about the accommodation that the university offers, about what the campus is like, because it may be that you've never been to Loughborough mm. before in your life, then you will get directed by that initial call centre team to someone who can help you with that in more detail. And where someone like me comes in on clearing day is that I very often speak to people who want to know a little bit more about what the course is like. So you've probably applied for history at, at very different universities, for example, but you know what their history degree programmes look like. And that was a good indicator, good reason why you chose those universities, because you thought the degrees sounded super exciting. So you may never have really thought, well, what sort of history do they do at Loughborough? And to be able to make your decision about whether you want to spend three or four years at Loughborough, you need an answer to that question. And so in that case, you'd get put through to me or someone like me on the phone, and I'd be able to talk you through the sort of history we do. For example, we don't do ancient or medieval history. So if those are your areas, then, Unfortunately, I probably would say history at Loughborough isn't for you. And mm. I'd be honest and mm. I'd give you that honest advice. Mm. Do you find people ask about different teaching techniques, whether it's like group work or? Absolutely. Yeah, that is a big question that we get asked. And so I would then talk through the amount of teaching that would be in lecture or big group format, the amount of teaching in small groups or individual tutorials. We also get asked very often about the way that students' learning and development is assessed. So mm. is it all essay writing, for example? Do I have to do exams? What do those exams look like? Would they be online or would they be in a big exam hall, for example? And of course, thinking about online learning as well, that we also have in the last few years got asked a lot about will my learning be in person? Mm. Is, is it expected mm. that I'm on campus in the classroom or will I be learning remotely? And so those sorts of questions are precisely the kind of thing that you should be asking on A-Level Results Day if you make that clearing call. Mm. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
have we got another question, Tracy? Yes. So I guess you probably answered some of this already, but Catherine, when you were talking about how you disagree that admissions is based purely on A-level results, are the only questions that you tend to get from students once about the course, or do you sometimes get triaged to, you know, students who are really keen, but, you know, whoever they've been speaking to at the call center is unable to make a decision? Absolutely. Yeah. So sometimes I, I answer queries from students who might have slightly unusual qualifications. And, and by that, I mean things like BTECs, for example, perhaps the IB as well. Certainly in our international student community, there are qualifications that many of us are not familiar with at mm. all. And so had to go away and research the equivalents to mm. A-level because... Mm. Of course, everyone you'll speak to on clearing day knows, oh, yes, for history, we need an A and two Bs. But that is a very particular type of qualification. You may have done something different. I do also sometimes speak to potential students or their parents or their teachers who haven't made the required grades, either if they applied to us during the regular round of UCAS, or they haven't made the required grades for clearing. And I think this is where I would just clarify the situation that Trace was mentioning earlier. Yes, it definitely is the case that if you miss your grades, you may still get made an offer. But if you don't get made an offer and you are sadly rejected from your first choice institution, then there's really no point ringing them up on clearing day and asking whether your case could be considered afresh. Even if the institution has clearing places for that degree programme, if you've been rejected from that programme, you're not going to be given a place in clearing, unfortunately. And your time on A-level results day is far better spent thinking about plans B, C and D, all of which can be really rewarding and really fruitful if you open your mind to them. Please don't think just because you've got a rejection from your first choice institution that you're some sort of failure or that it's the end of your life. I know it can feel that way. It can be devastating. I appreciate that. But actually, there's always an alternative out there. There'll be clearing places for you that do match the grades that you have, that are fantastic institutions in lovely parts of the world. Mm. So please do open your mind to those. But I must just say there is no point really trying to ring the institution that's rejected you mm. and, and ask for reconsideration. And that's because universities have already received each student's grades. And they've thought about how many students are going to be accepted onto the course and whether they're going to adjust the boundaries at all. So they've already looked at the student's circumstances and made their decision. So as you're saying, it's better to kind of look at an institution which doesn't have your information and contact them. Absolutely right. The only exception to what you've just said is that if any really quite serious mitigating circumstances have come to light for you as the student since you put in your application to UCAS. So just to give an example, you've suffered a bereavement of a very, very close family member immediately before you sat an exam. For example, 
that is the sort of seriousness of circumstance that we would consider and listen to and make a judgment about on the day. There is also, of course, the route of appealing your A-level grades. That's something at the university and as admissions tutors, we don't get involved in at all. If you go to your school and college and decide with your tutors that you'd like to go down the appeal route, they will guide you through that. And then at that stage, when you get the results of your appeal, if we still have clearing places left, please do come back to us with your new A-level grades that match what we're looking for. And then, of course, we will probably give you a place based on those new grades. I appreciate that because a lot of the horse trading, if I can call it that, <laughs> negotiating happens on A-level results day itself. You might think, oh, but if I put in an appeal, I'll lose the opportunity to go to my institution of choice. To be honest with you, that could well happen. In my experience, the degree programs I look after often close in clearing after a day or two days. They wow. simply become full mm. and we're not looking for any more students. So consequently, if you do decide to pursue an appeal with your school, please do, as I said earlier, think about other institutions, other possible places to go, or even think about a year out, possibly. Mm. University immediately, straight after school is not your only option, but these are the sorts of things you need to talk through with people who know you very well and wouldn't help you to understand what might be an option for you. I think what you talked about so far is very interesting because I think the belief with clearing very often is it's a time when things kind of shuffle around and nothing is predetermined and there's a lot of flexibility. But what you're saying is everything has already been decided before the A-level results have been received. So I think and I hope that students who are listening in will find that really, really interesting in terms of how they can use the clearing process to find the best option for themselves. Okay, so maybe something a bit more fun then. Can you tell us about some of your more memorable clearing calls? I can. And I think on a really positive level, just being able to say to a young person, yes, we will offer you a place. Let me take your details now. You're coming to Loughborough. And just for some of them hearing the joy in their voices and relief sometimes mm. too. It's really thrilling. It's, it really mm. makes the job worthwhile. And it is a sort of stressful, high pressure time for young people who are waiting for their results. So to be able to put a smile on someone's face and hear that, mm. oh, you know, now I can, you know, it's a weight off my shoulders. I can put the phone down and go out and celebrate with friends. And, you know, you can just, that that yeah. joy is infectious. It's wonderful. So I've, I've had over the years had a number of those that just really put a smile on your face and a spring in your step. Um, but on the other hand, of course, we do tend to get some more challenging calls. And 
the difficult ones do tend to stick in the mind as well as the joyful ones. So it's a real roller coaster for admissions tutors and people manning clearing phones on A-level results day. And because we know that it, it's a really stressful and difficult time, a pivotal point in the moment of young people and of their parents and family members, we do understand that sometimes the challenging phone calls we get, sometimes even aggressive, assertive and aggressive phone calls that we get mm. are not coming from a place of nastiness. It, it really just is the heat of the moment. But my advice there would be is if someone tells you it's a no, then please do accept that. <laughs> don't shout at them. No, don't them bribes. Don't, 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 don't beg, don't <laughs> offer bribes. Absolutely, yes. Don't yeah. refuse to put the phone down. <laughs> exactly that <laughs> uh, yeah and I think you know your message about the stress and being open to other opportunities is a really important one isn't it because I think in times of high pressure and we've all been there and I'm sure we can all empathize as well it can be really difficult to see the wood for the trees and it is a huge cliche but you know when one door closes another one does open and you know like I've mentioned before even though it kind of goes against what Catherine has been saying all this while but I did not expect to get my place at Loughborough, you know, and I was kind of going around all the, the local universities in Singapore back then. And the admissions tutors there were saying, you know, it's a it's a definite no from us. And I remember my mum saying, oh, that's not very encouraging. And, you know, one I remember one chap saying, well, you know, do you want me to be honest or what's like, what's the point in kind of stringing you along kind of thing? And on hindsight, it was a difficult message to take at the time but he was absolutely right there is no point and if it's a clear no it's a clear no look at other options and but there are lots of those out there aren't there There are lots of those out there and you will you know you'll probably find that your life takes a direction that you didn't expect in many wonderful ways absolutely and another tip for a level results day give yourself that time to make that decision don't mm. rush into something because you think oh you know i've got to take the first offer that's made or i've got to go to a university i, I i've really got to sort of rush into this before i lose the opportunity it really isn't like that mm. you do have time to speak to other people to get their opinion you you do have time to think and to even to sleep on it when we make you a clearing offer that offer stands for three days mm. and we're not going to withdraw that you have that time to think about it you don't have to give us a yes or no on the phone so if you do ring a university and someone seems to suggest oh I, I definitely want a decision now actually that's that's not right you do have Ooh, that okay. almost cooling off period as you might call it that's time to think about and so it. that's three days for all universities that's a standard I believe so yes yeah. Yeah. yeah it's certainly something that we've used in Loughborough for the whole time that I've been working there mm. and I believe it's a cross university standard but it's probably something that people could research very quickly on Google. Absolutely. So, yes. so, yeah. so you'll know in advance. Yeah. We kind of talked about this earlier before we started recording, but if a student has better than expected grades or wants to change course, should they gamble and decline any existing offers so they can go through clearing? I think there's some yeah. misconceptions about this, so it might be worth covering. Yeah, so I, I find this really quite interesting, but also scary. You know, because I'd heard that if you want to go into clearing, 
you have to decline any offers that you've been made so far. And so that's a huge gamble. It's like one of those uh, game shows. <laughs> do you want this prize or do you want to risk it all for something potentially better? <laughs> that isn't actually the case. Yes, in order to accept a clearing offer, yes, you do have to decline any existing offers from your first or second choice institution. But in order to make a clearing phone call, just to see whether we have any spaces, just to see what the course is like, whether you might be interested in coming, you definitely don't. So don't act too hastily. Hold on to those places that you have in the bag, as it were. Make some phone calls if you are interested in trading up, if you have done better than you thought. And then if it comes to it that you're clearing institution and degree program sounds so much better than the mm -hmm. one for which you currently hold a place then by all means go and decline your place and accept the clearing offer but there should be no point in which you're left in that limbo where you don't actually have a place anywhere and you're unsure of what's mm -hmm. gonna your future's gonna look like that's really good to know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very reassuring. So I've got one more question because I'm all about the questions. <laughs> if the person you're speaking to on the phone doesn't know the answer to a question asked by a student, what sort of response would give a prospective candidate confidence that their concerns would be taken seriously if they accepted a place at the department or the school? So could you give an example? So for example, a question about careers or like support you know once a student starts studying at the university and support is provided by professional services so for example in the form of consultations to kind of help people with essay writing or with their language skills for example a student were to say okay so my academic writing isn't very good how much support can I expect to receive you know once I enroll on the course no I see what you mean the first thing to say is the people working in our clearing call centre are very experienced and mm -hmm. they will know answers to many of these questions. They're very well briefed in advance. Okay. But if not, hopefully they will know somebody on the day that they can forward your phone call on to, like, for example, me as, a, mm -hmm. as an expert about the programme. If that still isn't the case, if they're unsure where to go from there, I don't know about you, but I think the thing that I find most reassuring when someone doesn't know the answer is an honest, I don't know, yeah. rather than trying to bluff your way through it and sort of make up an answer. I would feel as a nervous student on the day, mm. I would feel most reassured by someone who says, I don't know. Can I take your details, find out and get back to you, get the information from the mm -hmm. correct mm. individual? And so... Hopefully, by that route, you will get an answer to your question. And the sorts of things you were raising there, Tracy, are really important because mm -hmm. they really speak to the kind of the experience a student's going to have at an institution. And as an admissions tutor, that is exactly the sort of thing we do try and convey at clearing mm -hmm. that level of support that someone would receive. But if you haven't been able to get an answer to that question, hopefully within an hour or two someone will, get, someone will get back to you and and please do feel free to say oh you know call me on this number or if email is better mm -hmm. you know leave, leave your preferred contact details because 
you know, you, you might be in the position where you're on the phone to a number of universities that morning. So we understand it's it's not always easy to get hold of you. Yeah. But yeah, that would be my uh, my sort of ideal scenario mm-hmm. if a student question came in that the mm-hmm. um, responders couldn't answer. Yeah. yeah. So vague responses of, oh, we have loads of people who could help you with your essays. They probably wouldn't put it. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, no. You you want some you want a level of detail on this stuff because it's really important. Mm. It could determine whether you have a really positive experience at university or or not. Yeah. And so prospective students should take these questions quite seriously and not feel apologetic for, you know, probing about, you know, how long can I access support for and how often and, you know, those sorts of questions. I don't think anyone should feel like they're being awkward for asking them or, you know, causing trouble to anyone because you have to be happy with the course you're enrolled on if you're committed to it for a minimum of three years. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And it's often said about job interviews that you should go to a job interview as a candidate as much um, Mm, interviewing the uh, the employers as the other way around. And and I think there is an element here of that in the clearing process. If you're armed with some some grades that you're proud of and you're making your phone calls to institutions that you're really seriously considering, it's as much about us as universities impressing you as a potential applicant as it is the other way around so yes please just ask as many questions as you like and if you're not getting the detail you need ask for more information Mm. yeah and expect that response you know by email or phone later on absolutely I think that's I think that can be a good way of seeing you know how invested universities are as well So, I mean, this is a slightly different context, but when we were looking at schools for my son, I had a number of questions and, you know, my husband approached one of the schools and the headmistress said, oh, you've missed open day. No problem. We'll show you around. I'll show you around personally. Whereas, you know, with another school, I asked some questions about language teaching and stuff like that and just never got reply. Mm. And so, you know, if you're in that position where you get a detailed response from one university and nothing from another one, that can also be the thing that helps you decide where to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just to build on that, that just reminded me of something that uh, that your listeners really should be looking for as well. As we've said, if you apply for a clearing place, you may not have been to that institution on an open mm. day or a visit day before. But if you really would like to see the campus before making a decision, then ideally, you should be offered the opportunity to do that. So just at my own institution at Loughborough, for example, on the Saturday following the Thursday of A-Level Results Day, we have a mini open day for anyone that's come through clearing, is considering Loughborough, but has never seen the campus before. And so if you think you might be able to get to that that institution, you know, perhaps with with family members or or Mm. what have you to just have a look around, it won't be the the grand experience you would have had on a big open day with thousands of visitors. But nevertheless, it could be crucial to helping you make that decision. Mm. But actually, a low key kind of mini open day could be quite good for students who are a little bit more reserved to get a bit more attention. Absolutely. And have a bit of thinking space to figure yeah, out what's that's, what. That's a really good point. And also, there will still, even though it's a quieter open day, 
the academic staff on hand, admission staff on hand, to answer the sorts of questions that we were discussing. Mm. And so you will be able to get answers to those questions you need, even mm. in the smaller open day. Yeah, or even check out some of the services. Absolutely. Did I say I had one last question before? Because I think I lied. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. I am. I'm going to say, before we get on to your very exciting last question. Yeah. So if any of our listeners have questions, mm. um, we yes. would love to hear them. And what we can do is... Let's see if Catherine will very kindly give us some support in responding to those questions. So do write in and contact us with those. Yeah. Also, if you found this to be a helpful podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe so you can find out about our next podcasts. And leave us a review if you find it helpful so we can help more people. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much. Yep. So my last question is, so assuming a student has had an offer and accepted it, and when they start on campus, having come through clearing and, you know, like the big induction is over and things like that, what kind of support can students expect to receive to help them sort of find their way around university and get started once they are there? So that's a really good question. And I think this applies to all students, whether they've come through clearing or not, mm. because there may be all sorts of reasons why students who've come through the, the conventional UCAS route need extra support or are not aware of it yet mm. so yeah you're absolutely right universities throw a lot of effort into the first couple of weeks of, of induction and that really takes two forms the kind of social and cultural induction mm -hmm. to, to university life which is really important but also the academic induction which will give you the sorts of guidance that I think you're thinking of more Tracy which is around study skills support and support with just navigating what university life is about mm -hmm. and so these might be questions actually that you want to ask on the clearing phones too things yeah. like you know will I have a personal tutor that's mm. there to look after my my pastoral needs and so if you're feeling particularly vulnerable or particularly concerned about anything at all ideally you will be assigned a personal tutor sometimes they're called academic advisor but but in effect they're your first port of call if you have any concerns whatsoever and outside of the kind of academic support system there is also a really important support uh, community within universities that are designed to do things like help students function on a day-to-day -day basis in lectures and mm -hmm. seminars, but also especially around assessments. Mm. But my advice to you would be that if you are a little bit concerned about what's expected of you on a particular course that you're studying, ask for help sooner rather than later don't yeah. wait until definitely, the definitely. week before your assignments due or even the day before your mm -hmm. assignments mm -hmm. due to express your concerns and your difficulties please do ask straight away one difference you might notice between school and college and university is that at university level we talk a lot about independent learning mm. and independent study and the idea there is not that we leave you on your own without any help absolutely but rather that when you need help you ask for it you come to us mm. and so I know it can be difficult sometimes to admit you might be struggling or you think 
you potentially could struggle in an area. But it's far better to put your hand up and say, yes, please, I do need some support here. Can you direct me to the correct part of the university, the correct member of staff that can help me out? And ju just to say as well that if you're a student who has particular learning needs that have been documented already in, in your educational context, then it's worth asking the university that you're applying to what they do for students mm. like yourself yeah. who, who are, are living with your particular condition or experience your particular learning need. And it's pretty sure that they will be able to talk you through the process of getting that support you need. Mm. I think the other thing I just add to that as well that I've become aware of at our institution is if you have a learning difference or a learning need that has not yet been diagnosed, it's worth kind of putting the ball in motion before you come to university because sometimes the process for kind of getting tested and a diagnosis can take several weeks and obviously then you might feel disadvantaged you know as you're approaching your first assessment and you haven't had the diagnosis you haven't been able to access the help that you need it might be worth you know once you've accepted the offer, offer to start exploring the avenues for having a diagnosis whether it's at the university or externally so you've got the correct paperwork to access the help that you need once you are at university. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And as soon as you've accepted your place, you are then a member of the university. You then can mm. begin to access the services like the student support services. So as Tracy says, really, really an important point. Don't feel you've got to wait till you know, you've moved into the accommodation and it's day one of your university life, you know, please do uh, do get in touch with us over the late August, mm. early September. Period. And also in terms of, you know, avoiding becoming overwhelmed when you first arrive at university, if you can do any of these things over the summer before you arrive, that's ideal. Absolutely. That is ideal. And as it so happens, Alex and I are running a programme called Understand Uni Life which is uh, specifically designed to help you prepare for university after clearing, well, navigate clearing process, but also kind of prepare, you know, for the experience of moving to university and all the things you need to know before week one. Yes. So get a bit of a head start on the things you need to do so that you have the right sort of expectations, you know, and you're in the right frame of mind to begin university when you're on campus and you're enrolled yep. and to avoid the overwhelm. So it covers three areas really mm -hmm. so it's um, living independently so top tips and hacks for adapting to living with flatmates or on your own or just with that level of freedom really. shopping cleaning <laughs> <laughs> and some fun things too <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and the second area is top tips for making friends you know, lots of people are absolutely brilliant and it comes so naturally to them. But some people like to have a couple of strategies up their sleeves. Well, what are the main ways I can get in touch with people or form links? And we'll give you some ideas for that. Mm -hmm. And the last one is learning independently, yeah. which was something that Catherine was telling us about. So we, we could go on forever. About we could that go subject. on for a very long time on learning independently. <laughs> But, but we will do so in a very involved, engaged and interesting way. We won't be talking to you about time management. 
We well, we will a little this. bit, but in a, in a way that's kind of relevant. I'm going to ban the word time management. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, it'll be very proactive and focused on actually applying things and getting started as opposed to, you know, us telling you, right, this is this is a calendar. This and setting unrealistic expectations. Yes. <laughs> like Timetable your time rigidly every single day and stick to it because that's not very realistic, is it? No, no. And so if you're interested in finding out more about this course, the link will be in the information for this podcast. Excellent. And Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. We definitely learned a lot and I hope that our student listeners will learn a lot from this episode as well. Thank you very much. It's thank been you. a real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> okay, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Weird Learning with Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Battelle, with special guest, Dr. Catherine Armstrong. Music by Defect Machine from Pixabay. Produced by Kelly Costigan. <laughs>